You're listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. My name's Hans. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, as is Matt. I think you'll hear from Rock even a little later in the service. So it's just really good to be with you, to be here. And um, if you are a guest or recently started attending Genesis, we are in a year-long series kind of like Hearing the Word, uh, and we'll break that out part by part as we march through the story of Scripture, understanding what Jesus has done for us, but putting Old and New Testament together and seeing the work of Jesus. So for the first 30 weeks of the year, we will be here in the Old Testament, old, right? We say old like it's boring. Um, It's not boring, but uh, the Old Testament, um, often thought of as covenant, the way God worked there, and then New Testament, Jesus' institution of the new covenant and kind of how we think about those two divides. So Old Testament, of course, is pointing to the person and work of Jesus, and even to the return of that Messiah, though they didn't have language for it really at that time. The New Testament looks back at the person and work of Jesus, and then also to uh, his return. And so kind of both are, we're kind of ping-ponging, right? One's looking to his return, or to his coming and his return. The other one's looking back at his coming and to his return. And so we spend, uh, we're spending uh, the first 30 weeks of the year in the Old Testament to put some pieces together and as a part of that, not really a supplement, in fact, the sermon is kind of to supplement how we're doing this together. So we're reading the F260 plan. If you still, it's always time to jump into the plan. It's really easy to engage with. So uh, on our, at our kind of connect foyer back there, uh, as you head out, if you go to your left, there'll be reading plans for you if you want that. There's also a sheet of modified memory verses because the F260 has more passages than any brain can hold. So uh, I just, I'm like, let's just dumb it down and make it, fewer passages for us to memorize. So this past week uh, was Romans 4.20, and the, the passages often line up with things that we are reading. So Romans 4.20 is talking about Abraham, and it says this, right? He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. So talking about uh, Abraham. Now, it's funny because I was actually with a group of guys even this, uh, this past week talking about Abraham. In the New Testament, like, I'm like, does the New Testament forget that Abraham said like, oh, she's my sister. Like he, he had many times where he seemed to do things that were not in keeping with faith. It wasn't as if he was just kind of like always like, oh no, God's got this. Like there were plenty of times and he, even his wife is like, I don't think we're gonna have a kid, so why don't you grab another person, have a child that way? Like there are times clearly in Abraham's life where his faith was not 100% from our perspective. However, uh, he endured to the end. His faith remained. Um, And that is really held together even by God, even then. And so I think that's why the New Testament looks back and uses Abraham as that example is because, right, faith is really, uh, the scriptures say in the New Testament, we have a measure of faith given to us uh, by God, is that even that faith is something that God is sustaining and holding to um, and, and keep in keeping with who, who he is and in his character. So those momentary areas of faltering or stumbling still are not the marker because our salvation is not dependent upon us keeping something just perfectly accurate because we never will. It's always really in keeping with God's character and his nature. So we do, we're kind of 
boom, running through this thing as fast as we possibly can. Not really as fast as we can, but pretty fast. So we started with creation at the beginning of the year. Uh, God created and the worldview that comes with that. And we then went to Genesis 12, one through three, the promise that is kind of continued and, and held onto throughout the rest of Old and New Testament. That what is God saying to Abraham and how is he promising that heir? So as we read this week, uh, if you're in our reading plan, we saw this, this son, Isaac, was born. So he, he, he came, and now we have God's promise. If you remember Genesis 15, when God kind of institutes the covenant, and there's this line, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, which is something the New Testament holds on to as well. So in Genesis 15, 6, that's going on, and these children come, though he does have other children. There was, God wanted it to happen, through his marriage with Sarah. And so Isaac is born, and Isaac means laughter, because they're like, there ain't no way God is going to give us a child. Not gonna happen. And God's just kinda like, just you wait. It's gonna happen. Well, we get into this passage in Genesis 22, which I was talking with a friend even earlier this week, and it was like, this is a weird passage. Genesis 22, this this sacrifice almost of Isaac, but not really, is a bizarre passage. So I just want to go ahead and say that from the beginning. Like, it's weird. It's weird to be reading Genesis 22 and go, oh yeah, I totally get it. Like, that's just, that's just, you know, what God does is he asks us to sacrifice our kids. It's not, not a normative passage for how we understand the Old Testament. And there's that phrase, it's actually this idea shows up multiple times, the Lord will provide. So Genesis 22, this son has been born. And this is the one, you know, like the first heir of what will be many, says God. And so you'd think, like, you'd want to, like, secret service that guy, put everyone that you possibly can around him so that nothing bad happens. And then all of a sudden, dropped into Genesis is this test that God does in Abraham's life where he says, I want you to give up your son, your heir, the one through whom things are promised. And I I read that and I'm like, huh, can we just skip over that so that we can move on with life and not have to try and reconcile why on earth God would do that? But no, um, though we are grabbing certain passages that we read this week, I'm trying to grab ones that are gonna help us understand what's going on in the book of Genesis. So, we can't just forget this passage. So first, all I want us to do is hear it. And then we'll have a couple of things about what is the Lord providing in these and what do we provide as we see this story. So, a lot has happened. Isaac is born. Uh, The Lord even comes to... uh, Hagar and Ishmael, which Ishmael, the other, another son that was kind of done through fear that there wouldn't be an heir. Uh, and the Lord goes, no, I'm going to protect you as well. Um, and then there's all, of course, this like, oh no, she's my sister. Like all these weird things that happen when Abraham is like, let's just lie to the guys and just try and make things better. The Lord intervenes and says, no, 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 no. That's not really what's going to happen. Um, you better not do anything you're thinking about doing because you're going to die if you do. And, you know, Abimelech's like, whoa, my bad. Like, So the Lord is intervening kind of throughout, and then we have this passage, and some time has passed. Likely, though you can't peg an age on it exactly, 
Isaac at this point in time is not like a five-year-old. Isaac is an adult. He is like a 20 or 30-year-old male. He's not this guy who's just kind of like, oh yeah, whatever you say, dad. Like that's sometimes how we think about it. But Isaac is like, he's a dude. And so it'd be like my dad taking me and saying, hey, Hans, like, let's go. And I'm like, where's the sacrifice, right? Like he is, an, he is a man at this point in the passage, more than likely. It doesn't give you an age, but you can kind of figure out as you put pieces together. He's likely 20 to 35. Like he's somewhere in that range. He's not likely like 8, 10, 12. Like he's in that range. So here we go. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together, and Isaac said to his father, my father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, he said back and forth, behold, the fire and the wood, look, there's fire and wood, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? The whole passage is trying to like, create an ominous tone. Like that's all this. Like, look what's going on here. Like I see this and that, but where is the uh, where's the lamb? Abraham said, "God will provide for Himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son." So they went both of them together to say, if "My dad said that to me. It would not be enough." When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in, in order, and bound Isaac his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here am I. Angel said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. Behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns, and Abraham went, took the ram, offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Heard that before? Because you have obeyed my voice. Verse 19, so Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. A lot goes on there. So 
we'll just kind of stay here for a moment and we'll do a little explaining, go to, uh, go to just what is going on here. So first, of course, there's the call. And it says he was there to test him. Abraham goes, here am I. The area of Moriah is now modern-day Jerusalem. In fact, if you look in, uh, believe in Chronicles, what we're going to see is that the Temple Mount is there, built in that area. So the temple's there, so it's kind of like, go to what will be Jerusalem. There's a couple of references in the Old Testament to Jerusalem before it becomes Jerusalem, and Moriah is one of those references. So go to this place where I'll show you, and then there's just all of this kind of dark tone and you can see it in a couple of spots. So he gives this call, and then in verse three, Abraham rose early, and look at the order of events. He got his donkey ready, then he took two of his young men and his uh, young men with him, and Isaac, and so like they're waiting by the donkey, and then he goes and he cuts wood. Like, everything's out of order. If you're following it, like, like this is not the general order that you would do things, and I'm not really sure what Abraham's state of mind is in this moment. Where he's like, okay, like is he trying to kind of deflect what's actually going on? So he's like, hey, you go over here, and you go do that, and then I'll go over here, and I'll cut the wood. Like there's some time that has to pass for him to get ready, but the text is kind of showing like he did this, and he did this, and he did this, and he did this. And so I'm going, what's going on here? As that continues, they start to travel, and they're a three-day journey. Now you also have to think, as to Isaac's age, like Abraham's an old man. He needs a little bit of help probably along this journey, so Isaac is there to help him along on the journey. They see the mountain. They go up to the mountain, and then Abraham has this line. Hey, we're gonna go up, and we'll, we're gonna go worship, and we're gonna return to you. And even as I read that, I'm like, are you just trying to hide from them what's actually going on? Are you trying to keep from them? Like maybe you just stay here, we're gonna go do something. Like is, is he just delaying what has to happen? Then there's a statement from Isaac. Hey, where, where's the sacrifice? Like I see this and I see this. So we time and time again as we're kind of running through this passage, we're running into these moments of uh, intensity. Where's the sacrifice? And at that moment between father and son, Abraham says the Lord's gonna provide the sacrifice. In fact, um, Abraham is looked back from in the New Testament in this instance in particular about his faith, his confidence that God will provide what is needed in that sacrifice. Even as, as we read in Genesis 22, I'm not sure, I think as he goes, he becomes more confident, that's just Hans's take, like he's growing in confidence, but he doesn't ever disobey. But have you ever been in that spot where you're like, okay, Lord, like you better show up because I'm here and this has to work. Right, like, like I, I have nothing else to stand on. That's kind of how I feel what's going on with Abraham in this moment. He's not like, man, everything's great because just the chapter prior, he's messing things up. Like throughout his story, he is not like, God said this and this is awesome. Like he's always kind of wavering some, but never not trusting God, right? So, so I love that because as we look at the story of Abraham, what we see is that the Lord is marking faith and attributing that as righteousness and it's not always momentary faithfulness because if our salvation was dependent upon moment by moment faithfulness, none of us would be saved. Not a single person. And so even in moments where Abraham's going, I'm not really sure what's going on. Like God is good, God is worthy, God is to be trusted, but my son, 
My son, my only son? Hey, remember God, you said you'll have an heir. You provided this heir. And now you're testing me and asking me to sacrifice this heir? That's pretty intense. That's pretty intense throughout. And so I wanna go to a couple of just statements about what's being provided here, though we know kind of the ultimate provision that we see in God's intervention in this chapter. But first, the Lord has provided the promise, okay? And what I mean by that is all of Abraham's story is built upon 12, one through three. I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna give you offspring and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. So, so that is the, the kind of the, the foundation for all that is going on. So we're not just grabbing the Isaac narrative and going, this is kind of weird. It's built in the whole world of God calling someone out and saying, I'm gonna do something through you. And the world is gonna be blessed through you. And in chapter 15, when the covenant is there, and in 15, six, when Abraham believes God, it was credited to him as righteousness. Like, like we see time and time again that the promise God gave in 12 is what is going on. And so in 22, <clears throat> Abraham has to remember that. He has to remember what God has said. And in fact, when the ordeal is done in the last uh, five verses of the chapter, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, that part of this story, the Lord returns and says everything that he said before. I will surely, I will surely, I will surely, because you obey, you trust. And so we see in this that this all starts with God providing a promise. Now this is important for the life of the believer because we can't just kind of say, oh, like God wants me to X, Y, and Z. You have to be able to root it in the things that God has said. So you don't just kind of detach yourself and go, oh, well, God's promised this thing to me. Like where, where, do you, where do you actually see that? What can you stand on where that is set? So Abraham is rooting even his current operation in Genesis 22 in the promises God has already given him. And that's the same thing for you and for me is that the Lord has said, he has spoken about how he operates in the life of a believer. And for you and for me, if we are to actually live a life of faith, we have to root our actions in the things the Lord has said as well. If we try to move or deviate or claim that God said something that he didn't say, we are on ground that God never promised we'd be able to stand upon. We have to stand on the things that he said. And that, if anything, is the fuel that is pushing Abraham through in Genesis 22. The Lord provides the promise. Abraham didn't have to grab it or snatch it or do anything else. He knew what God had told him. He believed in 15 what God had told him. God had saw that and gave it to and credited it to him as righteousness in chapter 15. He's moved along and though at times it certainly seems like he's gonna wander a little bit from what he believes to be true, through and through in the narrative of Abraham, he is holding on to what God has said. He holds on with momentary lapses. Sounds kind of familiar, sounds kind of like all of us with momentary lapses, but all in all, God has said these things, and he roots how he behaves based upon the things God has said. That is the same for you and for me. Whatever we do, however we operate, has to be rooted in, established upon, built up with what we see in scripture. If not, I don't know if I wanna stand on that foundation. 
This is why if you hear, and these, these things are really, they're just sickening. When people will go, oh, God told me to sacrifice my son or my daughter. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not what he said. Like the one instance in Genesis 22, the one instance in Genesis 22 where that seems to happen, he stops it, right? He stops it from happening. And so we can't then go to this and incorrectly apply it that, oh, well, God might ask me to do the same. I think it's a peculiar test for Abraham here, but it was rooted in the promise, right? Well, the same thing might happen for us. Now, if you look in verse one of this chapter, so the Lord provides the promise, the Lord also provides the test. After these things, after all that has gone on, God tested Abraham. Now, this idea of test is something that you will be brought through and made stronger on the other side. So, tested Abraham, and he's testing what Abraham believes to be true. Now, in school, for those of you who are in school, you probably hate tests. I hate tests. Like, tests are not fun. And I'm tired of tests, and I'm glad that really I shouldn't ever have to take another one again. Um, So, amen for those of you kids who are like, I hate tests too. Just give it like 20 more years, and you'll be done. And then you get way harder tests. Because the tests that are now given... And they really start at the moment of faith. But the tests that are given are tests that are, do I believe what God says? Can I hold on to the things God says to be true? Or will I wander from that? God is not gonna test you in an area where he has not provided confidence of his character. Now you may or may not believe what he says to be true, but he's not gonna test you in some obscure place where you don't know where he has spoken and how he has spoken. And that's really important for us to grab a hold of because we're gonna call lots of things tests that may not be tested. Oh, I'm just being tested in this. Where there is clarity on what God has said, more than likely there will be tests to our understanding and our ability to live it out. And I remember a time, <clears throat> I may have shared this already. I only share like seven stories, so you're gonna know me really well here soon enough. I remember one time uh, when one of my children was going through something that I did not want to have happen. This was years back. And I said... I said to a friend, I was like, I, I can't, I said these words, I think I said these words, I can't handle this. I can't handle this. Something to that effect. And then I was done for the day and I was driving home from work and my phone rang and it was him. So I'm like, hello, you know, what's going on? And he essentially said in the most gracious way possible, don't say that. Don't say that because you know that God is good. Now, he's not saying that what's gonna happen with your child is gonna be the outcome you long for. But you know that God is not going to crush you to the point of unbelief with something. You know that he's true and he's good. So you can't say what you just said. And it was pivotal for me because I was like, that's true. That's why being together in a faith family is so important because there's gonna be times where you're gonna forget what God has said and what God has promised and then somebody else can come alongside and go, no, 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 look. Look, this is why we need one another. This is why we say be in a community group. Be around other brothers and sisters because you're not gonna be hitting hundreds on your test every single time and you need other people who can say, look at how good God is. I've been there, I know, and I can say God is faithful and God is true. God provides the test, but it's built on the things that he has revealed. 
He doesn't test us in obscure, unrevealed things, and that is so important for us to grab onto. Because where there is test, there's evidence of God's character. We have to see that. I mean, we even know this as like teachers. You don't give people tests on things you haven't said. If so, it's a bad test. It's a bad test. And you should complain about it. Like, how are you, why are you testing me on things I've never heard in my life? I don't know the response, but where there has been revelation, there is the ability to have confidence. And that is there for us even so. So the Lord provides the promise that's gonna kind of bound up this whole situation. The Lord provides the test, which is, do you believe that what I said is true? And for so many, and for me, I won't even say so many of us, I'll just say for Hans, I falter. I mean, I love the people who are like, man, God said it, you know, the bumper stickers, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I'm like, that rarely settles it for me. Right, like rarely, like God said it, I believe it, that settles it, I don't feel settled. Like I would rather be like, man, it stinks to be Abraham right there. Like I, I want him to go through it and me just to look at it. I don't wanna have to experience something that requires me to have confidence in God. So it's harder for me. I live at the whim of emotions and what you're going through and what I ate the night before. I don't, I don't live on the confidence that God has said things, but God's still like, I've given you the way to live, right? Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Like, like, I'm like, oh, okay, that's what makes sense. Like, it's like, how, how desperately do I need to know what is true? The Lord provides the test. This, is, this part, though, is awesome. And you're gonna, you know, this is the, this is the jump to the New Testament portion. But um, not only does the Lord provide the test, and Abraham, through it, believes, believes, believes as he's moving along. In fact, I think his faith is only getting stronger as he gets more and more into that moment. It goes back to the interaction that Corey Ten Boom had with her father. And she's like, I, you know, I can't handle this, I don't know this. You know, what if you die? And, and he says, God gives us faith when we need it. Right? He's gonna supply what is needed when it's needed, not before it's needed, and not after it's needed, but when it's needed. What an awesome illustration of a father talking to his daughter about when God supplies what is needed. Abraham did not need the strength to sharpen a knife three days earlier. He needed it three days in. So he didn't need to be, like, like God is providing each step of the way what is needed. He's providing the words to say each step of the way as he's going because he's providing as is needed. So important because I often want faith for every contingency that may exist in my life. I feel like the Lord's like, why do you need that? I mean, Jesus even says, don't worry about tomorrow. There's enough worry today. And you even get to see Abraham living that out, step by step, like, I'm not gonna worry about three days from now, because right now we're just kinda walking on the journey. And I know where it's gonna end up. So he's going, step by step by step. But this is what happens, is Abraham gets into that moment, he lifts a knife and the angel stops. And almost, like, I love this because if you look in verse one, these little things are just peculiar to me. You look in verse one, and God tests Abraham and and says, Abraham, and Abraham replies. Then you get to verse 11, when Abraham's lifting that knife up, and the angel's like, Abraham, Abraham. Like, like, I gotta doubly say this, because I need to be sure you hear me, because we're kind of getting right to the end here. 
And so like says his name twice, Abraham sees it. But what does the Lord provide this time? If you look on verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. What does the Lord provide? But the Lord provides the substitute. He provides what is needed in that moment, which was not the sacrifice of Abraham's son Isaac, but the recognition of the Lord's provision in that moment. So Abraham offered that up in verse 13. Instead of his son, Abraham called that place the Lord will provide, as it said, on this mount the Lord it shall be provided. Abraham continues until stopped, and then we see that the Lord provided a substitute. Now, if you're not seeing parallels, there are a few. First, they're in Jerusalem, what will be Jerusalem, and there's a father offering a son but the son is not offered. A different sacrifice is then given. But what we need for our salvation is the son. And the father sends the son to die for us and give us life. There is only one sacrifice of a son that is sufficient for our faith and our salvation. He doesn't reveal, the Lord reveals none of that in Genesis 22. Hey, just hold on, there's gonna be this guy, Jesus, and he's gonna be born, like, 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 that's not what he says. But the Lord knows what he's working even in Genesis 22. Yeah, there will be. There will be the appropriate sacrifice which blesses the world. But Abraham, it's not gonna be this way. But the Lord in that moment provides the substitute sacrifice. And he does that for us as well. He does that for us through his son, Jesus. That all of us have wandered. Even Isaiah says that. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We all have turned to our own ways. But the Lord has placed upon him the iniquity of us all. That, that what Isaac could not ever carry as a fallen individual, Jesus, the Son of God, does carry. True forgiveness that can come through that sacrifice, through his resurrection, through his life, that that's the life that we need. And I do want to get to heaven and just have a conversation with Isaac, man to man, and be like, bro, how were you okay with that? Like, what was going through your mind when your you know, 100-year-old dad is saying, oh, no, 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 it's all good, bro, just, you know, we, we got this. And you clearly, like, you're not an idiot, you know what's going on here. So how, how can you have confidence in what your dad is doing in that moment? Because I'd be like, oh, hey, I gotta go to the bathroom, and then I'd be gone. You don't need me anymore, like, I'm out. I wanna know what Isaac is feeling there. Because as he's revealed in Genesis 22, all we see is his statement, hey, I see this, I see that, but where is the sacrifice? The, the Lord will provide the sacrifice. So if, if in this we see time and time again, the Lord provides, I'll say ecosystem, he provides that promise, that the, 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 the place in which the testing is gonna happen. 
all of the promises and the things to hold on to. He also provides in that the test based upon the things that he has said and revealed. And he provides the substitute. So then I ask myself, okay, well, like, what do we bring to the table? And I, the answer is not nothing. The answer is faith. We supply in this faith. Confidence in what God has said and what God is doing. And that's really all that we can provide. And so faith heard it this way, this is a helpful way for me to think about it, it really has, for me, uh, three elements, okay? So there's element one, which is kind of like information. What is being said, right? So like words on a page or things that are spoken, there's kind of information. Then you move from that and there's kind of your, your assent or ascribing to that thing being true or recognizing it to be true. Now the reason that that is not enough is because in like the book of James we read, you believe there's one God, good. Well even the demons believe that. So there's information about there being one God. The demons even ascribe, believe that that is true, okay? But that third element of what faith is, is often the difference. Well it is the difference between what saves and what doesn't and that is trust, trust. And I've heard it illustrated like this, which is for me very helpful. For you, I hope it's helpful too. You're wandering along one day and you fall, slip at the corner of a cliff because you are incredibly courageous and you want to get as close to the side as you could without falling off, but you lift your footing and you fall. And like in every movie, when the camera pans over the side, of course there's like one tree root in the entire cliffside that you grabbed a hold of. That's how movies work. I mean, if you've seen the new Mission Impossible, I have no idea how they're you know, hurtling down that mountain alive, but the hook grabs at just the right time and the mountain's strong enough. So this is us and we're there and there's no way for us to get up. And then the angel shows up and says, do you believe that I can help you? And you're like, of course I believe that you can help me. Like, oh, yes, yeah, I see that. You're like, okay, so you, you know I can do this. You're sure that I can do this. And so you've kind of gone through steps one and two. I have information, you can help me. And then I have an understanding. Yeah, you are like, there's no one else around, so it's gonna be you or nothing. And then this statement shows up. Great, if you believe that's true, then you let go. And that's where we move from just kind of understanding to trust. That, that I'm gonna actually entrust myself and my life to what you're saying. And that's what Abraham does in Genesis 22. Okay, you've said this is true. I've believed it to be true. Now you're asking me to trust that it's true. That's where faith really shows up. It's not just information. It's not just saying those things are true. This is why Bible studies prove nothing really. Because you can get around all day and be like, oh, this is cool, and this is cool, and this is cool, and this is cool, and this is cool. And you have all these cool things in your head, and you can recite on any test that might be given, uh, passages and ideas and things like that. But when it actually comes to speaking, believing, acting in keeping with the things that you understand, that's where faith is really demonstrated. Do you believe these things to be true? When it comes to our salvation, it is, do I release control of my life to the Lord Jesus? And we've heard these phrases before in testimonies. Man, I've always thought that, you know, God is real. I could quote 
Jesus died for my sins and rose from the grave since I was like two years old. I know these statements. I'm aware of them. I can recite passages of the Bible. I know all of these things, right? Like I have these. But faith is demonstrated when we actually have to live out confidence in the things that we have read because of the character of the God who has revealed them. And it's funny because when we start to display confidence, that's when our friends and family start to question us. Do you really think that that's what God wants you to do? Are you sure that that is the right thing? Are you really hearing from God in this? So for me and for us as a church, we supplied the faith, yes, the one thing I want us, or not the one thing, I guess, but one of the main things I want us to be able to do is when people are speaking about the promises of God and how they want to live in keeping with that, obeying the things that they see and believe, I want us to cheer them on. I don't want us to go, are you sure, right? We use the W word. I don't know if that's really wise. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like if you, if you see the promise of God and you're trying to walk those things out in some level of confidence in his character, I don't want to you know, go like, oh no, I don't think you should do that. I want to cheer that on. Why? Because we read that anything that is not from faith is sin. And so why would I encourage somebody to be living a life apart from faith? What God says, will he provide? Right? Those testing grounds are often the most significant for us because when we come out on the other side, what do we see but God who has shown himself as faithful? Over the next three weeks, we're gonna be looking at the story of Joseph. And that story takes about 20 years for it to come to fruition. Sell, brother's selling him into slavery, then he's in prison for years, and then he gets exalted, and then there's plenty in the land and then there's famine in the land and his brothers go to get food. Like it's taken two decades. It's almost like you feel like the promise has gone to sleep. Two decades of time pass and then you get to chapter 50 of Genesis and you hear Joseph say, God planned this for good. But it wasn't until the back end of it, 20 years later, that he comes back with that statement. And so whatever you might be walking through, what you see, hold on to what you see as revealed in the scriptures because God is present, God is real, God cares, God is there. And even after 20 years, if you're going, what in the world is going on? On the back end of the test is the reminder. And that's what happens also in Abraham's life is that on the back end of this, after he has gone through this, what does God do but reiterate the promise? Because that's in his nature. God doesn't leave us in the dark forever. But he reveals and reveals and he loves and he directs and he points and he challenges and he tests, but he is always present. It's just that from our perspective, we don't know all that he is working and all that he is doing. So God supplies, God provides, and then what do we do? We believe. We believe that the things God says are true. And that is the walk of the disciple. As we read the things that we see, do we believe them true to the point that we will actually live in keeping with them? If the answer to that is no, then there's some aspect of our walk that is not by faith but is by sight. 
that's where, that's where life really happens, though. In that gap of understanding what is true to living by what is true. I praise God for Abraham's faith, and that's why we see throughout the New Testament, James 2, Hebrews 11, and then we have this phrase, which I think aligns a little bit with the language of Genesis 22, because Paul is no fool. It's a pretty sharp guy. And we read in Romans 8, this phrase, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his only son. Sounds a lot like the language of Genesis 22. You did not keep your son from me. But he who did not spare his only son, because that's a little bit of a difference in the sacrifice of Christ. But gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What do we believe to be true? And what are we believing even today? And I pray that day by day we are able to have great confidence in the things God has revealed and the things that God has promised. That we are able to live by them. I would encourage you to join up with a community group where you can discuss and be challenged and be prayed for and be cared for and have people direct you and go, no, 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 trust God here. That phone call from a brother on a church staff with me that I needed to hear wouldn't have happened without living in community. If this is your only shot in, during the week of your kind of Christian life, and then the rest of the week you are just kind of out on your own trying to slug it out, it won't work. You need other brothers and sisters to help remind you of the things that are true. I need you to help me. I need you to help my kids. I need you to help my family. I need you in moments where I'm just like, I hate this to point to the true things of God. And we need that from one another because we want to be a people who live by faith in the things God has revealed and the confidence of his character more than anything else. Let me pray for us. Gracious, gracious God, we thank you for the sacrifice of Christ and the faith that we can have and the example of Abraham for our salvation. We praise you that Jesus is the one who gave his life. That Abraham is the one who had faith that we should live by. That the things you have said are true and in them we should have confidence. So Lord, as a church, might you continue to reveal to us those true things and then also, Lord, might you continue to reveal to us those things that are in scripture, things that we might have forgotten, brothers and sisters in our lives who can encourage us and challenge us to hold to what is true in keeping with our salvation that you might receive the glory from our lives. Father, thank you for what you have given to us. Might you strengthen us to believe and in areas where we do not believe or we struggle, might you, Lord, move mightily. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.